Good morning, International Church of Prague. As we've been exploring the Reimage series, we've discovered that you and I were created in the image of God to reflect His character, His love, justice, mercy, His work, as we looked at last week, and His goodness. Romans 8, 29 and 30 puts it this way. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What that's saying is the fulfillment of God's will ultimately when we become more and more like Christ brings great glory to the Lord. Now this same chapter, Romans chapter 8, gives us some very practical instruction about how to do that, especially in times of despair. Many people feel broken right now. The changes in our world and the uncertainty feel like a heavy weight on the soul. In a very real sense, change feels like a raging river that is flooding and overwhelming people's lives. Well, right now the Vlatava is pretty calm. But there have been seasons in the past when it has overflowed its banks and caused incredible destruction. Despair, like a, a river that is flooding its banks, is deadly. So what about you? Have you ever come to the point of genuine despair in your life, where you've gotten so low that it seemed like even God had abandoned you? Despair means to lose all hope or to lose our confidence. John Donne put it this way, Despair is the damp of hell as joy is the serenity of heaven. That's a powerful statement. So what are we to do in times of despair? Jeremiah was a man familiar with despair. In fact, he's called the weeping prophet because he alone stood faithful in Israel during the captivity of Babylon. There were other faithful prophets, but they were all taken away. Jeremiah was left behind in the rubble of a defeated nation and with a rebellious people. But he learned two very important truths in the midst of despair. Number one, he learned that the Lord is good to those who seek him. And number two, the Lord shows his goodness to those who wait for him. Jeremiah put it this way in Lamentations 3 verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. That's a verse we should remember. It's a promise from the Lord. God has given us an incredible gift to help us in seasons of despair. That gift that he has given us is his goodness. His goodness, in a sense, is like a bridge built over the storm of our circumstances. It crosses the river of despair. It is strong and mighty, and it has stood the test of time. When you first saw the scene behind me, you, you saw the river flowing. But most likely, your focus was on the Charles Bridge, a beautiful structure that is over 600 years old. The bridge crosses the river and makes it possible for any who use it to safely cross the Vlatava. You saw the river, but your eyes were drawn to the bridge. That is exactly what God's goodness in times of difficulty and despair is designed to do. 
people feel overwhelmed because we do not have the ability to overcome our struggles, our trials. None of us in our own strength can swim the river of despair. But just above the river is the bridge of God's goodness. Church, we need to focus on that bridge for ourselves and as a witness to people around us who are in desperate need of hope. That hope is God himself because he is the bridge. So let us determine to lift our eyes up to him. Let us determine to focus the words that we say and the actions that we do on him and to reflect his goodness because that's the message our world desperately needs to hear. That's the message you and I need to hear. We need to know that God is above the fear that many have of the future. His goodness is real hope, authentic hope. It's not just placing your hope in an idea or a wishful thinking. It's not placing our trust in political ideas or human leaders. It is placing our trust in God who proves himself over and over again. I want to encourage you to look at the verse right before the one that tells us that God's will for our life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Because in that verse, verse 28, there is a great promise. Let's look at it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God is working for good. His goodness towards us crosses every trial and every circumstance we face. With this promise, however, comes a deeper level of calling as image bearers of Jesus. Here's our calling. Here's what this verse should cause us to believe, to say, and to live. I will not despair no matter how bad the circumstances are because God is always good. Instead, I will show the world the goodness, the greatness of God, that he is a God who can be trusted. Here's an important truth. The darker the days, the brighter the candle of faith must burn. In the same way, the faster the waters of change rage, the more we need access to and to show others the bridge of God's goodness. Now, is that easy? No. In fact, one of, one of my favorite verses, because it's so raw with emotion, is found in Psalm 27, verse 13. It says this, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love David's honesty. He was the only man called a man after God's own heart in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. He was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel. He's the giant slayer. But he was no stranger to suffering. He was saying, I would have lost it. I would have fallen apart if I had not believed in the goodness of God. I want to encourage you to look closely at the God you're trusting in. Notice the phrase that David uses. He says that I would see. David believed that he was going to witness God's work personally. He wasn't just going to hear about it. He was going to see God's goodness with his own eyes. His faith was intimate and personal. 
He trusted in God and he believed that God was actively working in his life. That's an area where many people struggle because we feel that God is distant, that God is interested in some people and he's interested in things in general, but we're not confident that he really loves us, that he really wants to be involved in our life. David said his confidence was in the goodness of the Lord. In fact, later on, the Psalms say the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord and his tender mercies are over all his works. He says that in Psalm 33, 5 and Psalm 145, 9. We can trust that not only is God good, but that God cares about you. He's proven that by giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to bear your sin and my sin as an expression not only of salvation, of of paying the price that our sin deserved, but an expression of how interested God is in you. God's goodness is a light that radiates through every other one of his attributes. It is the reason why his omnipotence, which means that he possesses all power, it's why his omniscience, which means he has all knowledge, and his sovereignty, which means that he's in control, are a comfort instead of a terror. It's the reason that we can dare to believe that he is able to work all things together for good, as he has promised us in Romans 8:28. We do not despair because God is always good. We can see a glimpse across the river of the future and the cascades of despair and the floodwaters of uncertainty We can see to the tower of God's goodness, just like that watchtower there at the foot of Charles Bridge. It's a reminder of us, of something solid that we can count on. That's God's goodness. And he gives us his promises in his word to give us assurance that he is for us and that he is working for the good of those who love him. Now, there are a few theological aspects to this passage that I want to point out. He doesn't say that all things are good. Evil, pain, hardship, suffering are real, and they're ugly. What he says is that he is working in the midst of them. He is working to redeem even those things, to work through them in such a way that even those will be for his glory and ultimately for our good. Also, he doesn't say all things are comfortable. This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity message. God doesn't promise us health, wealth, or prosperity in this life. He promises something much greater, a greater possession than anything we could ever have that this world offers. He offers us himself. The good does not refer to our earthly comfort necessarily, but to the eternal good of being conformed to the image of Christ. Because you see, that which draws us to God is ultimately good, even if it hurts, even if it results in death. Because God is shaping us to be more and more like his son, to reflect his image to, uh, in our own life, to our family, to our friends, and to the world around us. And that is very good. Because that is who you and I were created to be. So God is working. 
He is redeeming people in a broken and fallen world. There's a truth that I've shared with you many times. It's, it's a truth that a dear pastor friend of mine named Rick Ferguson taught me many years ago. It's simply this. If we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants. And we would always wait for God's timing. It might be good for you to write that down or even memorize it. If we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants. And we would always wait for God's timing. Now let's get practical. Let's take this verse and figure out how we're supposed to live out its promise. How do we focus on God's goodness in times of uncertainty, trial, and despair? Well, I want to give you four things that we are to look for, four um, areas that we need to have a viewpoint that gives us God's perspective. And the first one is to look inward. Understand this, the difficult circumstances that tend to define us are what God uses to refine us into the image of Jesus Christ. I want you to think back to the moments of your life that were turning points. Most likely, many of them were times of uncertainty, times of suffering, times of waiting, or times of trial. But God used that pain, that desperation, that unknowing, even that despair in your past to change you to make you into who you are today. You see, the fires of suffering are what purify the saint because they enable us to see that which is temporary, that which is actually harmful to our life, harmful to our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with others, and allows the Lord to use those trials to take away the things that are harmful to us and to others and in its place, build up the likeness of Jesus Christ. But how do we continue in the midst of suffering so that we don't lose hope? Well, that brings us to our, our second look. Not only do we need to look inward and try to see what God wants to change in us, and that, that's the question you should ask. Lord, is there something I need to learn right now through this difficulty? I, you know I don't like the circumstances that we're in. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of COVID. I'm tired of the restrictions. But I don't want to miss what you want to do in my life. So show me if there's sin, if there's a habit in my life that you need for me to surrender over to you. Help me to look inward. And then, Lord, would you lift up my eyes and enable me to look upward. Remember this. God is with you. What is more, he promises that he is praying for you and for me. If we back up in Romans chapter 8, just two verses, two verses before the promise that he's working all things together for our good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, he says this, Likewise, the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That is an incredible promise. God 
the creator of the universe, is praying for you. That's what his word said. And he's praying God's will over your life. God promises to pray for us. That's powerful. What he's saying is you're not forgotten. Right where you are in the midst of this struggle, right now, the Holy Spirit is praying for you and with you for your good and for the fulfillment of God's will and purpose in your life. He's not praying necessarily for your comfort, but he is praying for your completion in Christ Jesus. He is praying that this circumstance will transform you, will strengthen you, will burn off the dross of self and of sin and make you more and more like Jesus. That's the kind of God we have. He's that interested in you, in your circumstances. There, it's not just a trial you're going through and you're not alone. God is with you. So look up. He is there. He is praying. And he wants you not to just survive, but to be victorious. To be able to celebrate the victory of becoming more and more like him. Of reflecting his image. Paul put it this way. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him, like Jesus in his death. Paul knew that our ultimate good, God's plan for our life, is to restore us to a right reflection of who God is. And he learned to long for that as the number one desire of his life. When that becomes our pursuit, we have an intimate relationship with God that can withstand any trial. Understand what this promise is telling us is that God is not distant. He's not distracted. He is actively working for our good and for his glory. Isn't that good news? So we need to look up. The Holy Spirit is praying for you in the midst of despair you need to look up and by faith believe that God is working for you and not against you. Well, that brings us to our, our third look. We not only need to look inward and look up, we also need to look past the problem. We need to recognize that God is working through this and things will not always be the way they are right now. Romans chapter 8 goes on and, and, and gives us a perspective. It allows us to see a glimpse of what God offers us. He says this in verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has already given us the greatest gift, the greatest treasure, the greatest relationship that he had, the intimate relationship that he had with his son, he sacrificed for you. God will surely never stop and refuse to complete you in smaller ways. He began a good work in you to make you more and more like Christ so that you could be united to him, so that you could come into the union of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's what this verse is saying. It's giving us real hope. Hope that's greater than any trial we face. Verse 33 goes on to say this. 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit is praying through us and Jesus Christ is praying for us. We cannot fail. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our ultimate good is found in the beautiful love of God. He wants us to look past the problem, no matter how big it is, to see his love, to remember how much he cares for us. He has promised us an eternity with him without pain, without despair, without discouragement, without depression, without illness or sickness or death or suffering. If a short time of suffering will make us more like him now in a way that we can celebrate for all eternity, isn't it worth it? Isn't it even worth the price of death? You see, death for the Christian simply leaves behind that which was already dead anyway, our sin. But as we are transformed to be more and more like Christ, that part of us, that lives forever. So in despair, we need to look past the problems to see what God desires for us and that his desire for us is good, what is ultimately best for you and for me. We can trust him. By faith, we need to embrace his love and his goodness. Give your trial time. That's so important. We are called to walk by faith, to wait on the Lord. We're called to hold on to his promises and believe that in your lifetime, you will see God's goodness. And you will. That's what David told us in Psalm 27. Wait on the Lord and wait on his timing. Here's something I'm reminded of often. Uh, In fact, it's something I have to tell myself far more times than I like to admit. And it's simply this, don't sin too soon. When I'm tempted to give up or even flat out rebel and demand my own way, my own wants, I hear a small voice telling me, Drew, don't sin too soon. Wait on me. What I have is better than what you think you want right now. God whispers to my heart, my timing is better than yours. Oftentimes, that's because there are others who are involved. It's not just about me. So don't give up. Don't sin too soon. I hope that's a word of encouragement to you. Because you see, when we put things into perspective, 
when we understand things in the light of eternity, it changes everything. Think about it. We've had one year of COVID-19. Now, I know it feels like a lifetime. But compare that to Joseph sitting in prison, sold by his brothers into slavery. Or compare that to Joshua and Caleb waiting 40 years to enter the promised land when they believed the Lord's promise all along. It was everyone else that didn't believe. But Joshua and Caleb had to wait 40 years because it wasn't God's will to bring Joshua and Caleb into the promised land. It was God's will to bring his people there. Joshua and Caleb had a very important part in that, but they had to wait for the fulfillment of God's timing. Compare that to the faithfulness of the underground church. A year of COVID compared to having to meet secretly in many parts of the world all the time, that's a real trial. Better yet, compare the one year of dealing with COVID even if it continues for a long time to come, with the joy of eternity in God's presence. You see, that's the context that this whole passage is set in. Farther up in Romans chapter 8, in verse 18, Paul writes this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and it could say sons and daughters of God that's the promise he's saying put things in perspective look past the circumstances you're experiencing right now and remember if we knew what God knows we would always want what God wants and we would wait for his timing now all that is helpful at least I hope it is, from a theological viewpoint. It gives us kind of that high-altitude view. But honestly, trials and suffering and waiting still hurts. It hurts right now. How do I wrestle with the emotions of despair that feel so strong? Well, we look inward. God is changing you through this. He's changing others through how you respond as well. We look up, we remember that God is with us and that God is praying for us and we look past the problems to understand that God is working in the midst of this temporary struggle. But finally, the fourth look is that we need to look backward. God has proven his goodness towards you. When you cannot see what God is doing in front of you, look back to what he has already done. That is so important to give us a right view of where we are. In times of despair, we need to look back to how God has shown his goodness to us. Reflecting on his providence, on his benevolence, on his goodness, will change your perspective on your problems. We need to learn the discipline of looking back with hearts of gratitude for who God is and for what he has done. This will strengthen our faith for what he wants to do in us now. So I want to encourage you. Think back to a prior time of despair, a hardship that you went through, a trial or suffering. How did God show you his goodness in the midst of that? When things look so bleak, how did God 
show up? Have you seen God's goodness displayed in the lives of others who've walked through difficulties, through trials? You see, part of the reason that we go through trials is so we can be an encouragement to others so that when they face them, we have someone who's already been there, who's already walked through it, and they've seen how God carried them through. Also, think of passages in the Bible that reveal God's goodness. Meditate on those passages and on the promises and apply them to your life. If you were to look beyond the problem, where do you see God's goodness today? What has he done? How has he blessed you? What things are going right right now? How has God shown his goodness to you even in the midst of the circumstances you're in? These are important questions because they change our heart. They give us a right perspective on ourselves and more importantly, a right perspective on God. In the same way, we ask this kind of a question. How could this season, this trial, be used by God to strengthen your faith and to bring others to faith in Christ himself and to show the glory of God through the midst of this trial? Do you believe God's will is good and that he will work for your good as you love, trust, and follow him? That's an important question. So you see, we're to look inward. God is changing you through the midst of this. He is also changing others through how you respond. We are to look up and remember that God is with us and that God is praying. He is interceding for us right now. We also need to look past the problems. God is working in the midst of this temporary struggle. And fourthly, we need to look backward. God has proven his goodness towards you. And this is where we are to set our focus. But don't just look. We need to go beyond that. You see, as followers of Jesus, because we're called to reflect the image of God, we are to reflect his goodness. Therefore, our lives need to look like the Charles Bridge. We need to reflect the goodness of God. We need to be able to show others that there is hope through the river of despair, that they can cross this trial, they can make it, because God is good. And so our lives are a testimony of God's goodness. That means that we need to be good. We need to live as an example of God's loving kindness and show God's good to others. This is why Jesus told us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. We are to be good. We are to do good works so that we are a light that points others to the goodness of God. So how do we do that? Let's bring it all back down into some action steps. The best way I know to prompt us and to remind myself of how to be good, how to display the goodness of God, is a verse found in Ephesians 4, Verse 32. It's a very simple verse, but it's a hard one to live. It says, be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Right there are some action steps for us to take. Number one, be kind. Our world is in a short supply of kindness. We need to be intentional about being kind towards others. Secondly, he says, be tender-hearted towards others, especially those that we disagree with. That's the action step that we're to take. We're to have a heart like Jesus. Do you realize in the, in the scripture, in Matthew 11, Jesus shows us his heart. In the passage where he invites us to come to him if we're weary, if we're heavy burdened, to come to him and find rest, to take his yoke upon us, he tells us about his heart. And here's how Jesus describes his heart. He says, I am gentle and lowly. You will find rest for your soul. The very heart of God is tender, is gentle. Therefore, don't you think we need to be gentle as well? One of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. Think about all the division, all the hostility in our world. You know, we're never going to argue our way into agreement. The only thing that's going to enable real change to happen is for believers to be kind, to be tender-hearted, to be gentle towards others, to be like Jesus. Remember, Jesus was perfectly holy. And yet people whose lives were not holy were deeply attracted to him because of his kindness, because of his tenderheartedness, because of his gentleness, because of his authenticity. And yes, because of his holiness. Because you see, we're actually drawn to that. We want to have a life that is in a right relationship with God. So we need to be kind. We need to be tenderhearted. And then thirdly, the hardest of all these is we need to forgive those who offend us as Jesus has forgiven us. Now I would add to that, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you claim to follow Jesus, you need to be seeking forgiveness anytime that you offend someone. We need to own our mistakes. We need to own our sin, confess it, and seek forgiveness. Likewise, when others harm us, when they sin against us we need to forgive them just as Jesus has forgiven us those three steps enable us to show others God's goodness and I'll add one more it's not found in this verse but it's so important the fourth one I would add is be grateful practice gratitude continually give thanks to the Lord in every circumstance also be a person of gratitude. Tell other people you're thankful for them. Look for the things that they are doing. Look for ways that you can build them up and encourage them. Give thanks for them. Tell them that you appreciate them. And even more important than telling them, tell the Lord the things you're thankful for. I've discovered in my own life, when I'm discouraged, when I feel beaten down, even depressed, When I begin to practice gratitude, when I begin to live a life of thanksgiving, things begin to change. Think back to how God has blessed you in the past and and begin to make a list of some of those things as an exercise to help put this into practice. List some of the gifts that God has given to you. Things like life, 
You didn't create yourself. He's given you salvation, creation, this wonderful world for us to enjoy. He's given you family. Even if your family is, is broken and struggling, he's given you those relationships. God has given you protection, provision. He's working transformation in your life. He's given you forgiveness, freedom, friendships. He's given you his word. Don't take that for granted. In fact, learn to treasure it in your heart. He's given us his Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us, to direct us, to correct us. He's given us the church, fellow believers to walk alongside of us, to strengthen our faith. He's given us the beauty of music. What an incredible gift. I want to encourage you to take that list as a starting point. And then add to it. Begin to list out some of the things that God has given to you. And give thanks to him for that. Practice an attitude of gratitude. That is the first step to transforming the trial that you face right now into a triumph that shows the goodness of God. God bless you and have a very good day.